Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, February 26th, 2015. More Hebrew-ish heresies we'll get to later today. Although I feel like t- today's episode is just a train wreck. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which... Help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. So we, well, we play things in context and then we open up our Bible and look at what the Bible says in context to see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, folks being put out by the evangelical industrial complex is those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, you know, who, when they show up at a particular venue, everybody shows up in droves to hear them speak, you know, to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's word really says. And well, unfortunately, we find that the vast majority of um, of the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, well, they ain't telling us what God's word really says. Instead, they're um, they're scratching itching ears. In fact, I received an email. Somebody uh, wrote me and described these uh, types of scratching itching ear teachers as Q-tip ministers. Q-tip ministers. Yes, they scratch itching ears. Although it's kind of a weird thing about Q-tips. I mean, the only thing I ever use Q-tips for is to, you know, clean my ears out after I take a shower. But on the labeling, you know, on, on the box itself, it says, don't put this in your ear. Yeah, it's weird. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, one of those things. It's just, you know, well, apparently I'm using my Q-tips in a way contraindicated by the Q-tip company. <clears throat> yeah, I think they do that for liability's sake. Anyway, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We are going to, uh, yeah, the first half of the of the hour here, it, you know, it, in fact, the whole program is like a train wreck. It really is. Now that, you know, I'm looking at what we're going to be talking about. Um, we're going to start off with a William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse and co-prophet of the End Times update. Um, yeah, he's date setting now. You remember back in the day, it wasn't that long ago, really, uh, when uh, Harold Camping predicted when the rapture was going to be? Uh Uh-huh. And uh, how'd that work out for Harold Camping? Yeah, not so good. No, no bueno. Well, William Tapley is no joke. He's uh, he's date setting, if you would. And I don't know the exact month. 
I don't know the exact year to go along with the missing month, but apparently the the apocryphal book of Tobias supposedly teaches us that the rapture is going to be this year. Yeah, that's right. And I got to tell you, you know, um, if I believed in the doctrine of the rapture, which I don't, um, you know, I at least not that Jesus is going to secretly return and whisk Christians away. No, I, I do believe that Jesus is going to return. Everybody's going to see it, and then he's going to whisk the Christians away, and uh, and you know, destroy the heavens and the earth, new heavens, new earth. It's going to be uh, a fearful and awesome day, uh, a big deal. It really uh, cataclysmic would be an understatement. But um, this is one of those times where. Uh, as I was listening to William Tapley, as I was preparing for the program, I was saying to myself, wouldn't it be nice if, wouldn't it be nice if, you know, William Tapley was actually right about this? Yeah, it, you know, this year, I mean, this is it. Jesus is going to show up. We're, we're done here shortly. I'd, you know, I'd basically say, huzzah, huzzah. So then um, when we're done with William Tapley, we'll switch gears. And again, still looking for a new name for the Patricia King gang. Haven't figured out what the new name is going to be yet. But uh, we're going (laughs) to listen to a commercial for, uh, no joke, uh, Doug Addison's uh, prophetic um, piercings and uh, tattoo interpretations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, just to kind of fill that out, we're actually going to listen to a little bit of um, the spirit connection with Doug Addison, the guy who prophetically interprets uh, tattoos and piercings, and uh, and listen to his spirit connection from November of last year. So it, this is going back a, a few months, not too many, and <laughs> kind of get an idea of what this guy's about, you know, and uh, who he hangs with. And uh, somewhere in there, we'll take a break, and uh, and then we're going to do an extended Larry Huck, um, yeah, Larry Huck, you know, um, update. Larry Huck is a televangelist who promotes these uh, Hebrew-ish heresies that we uh, cover here from time to time at Fighting for the Faith. And then in hour number two, hour numero dos, we're going to be listening to Christine Kane's presentation from the 2015 passion conference and yeah yeah i i I gotta teach you how to listen to the subtext of this particular one and when you kind of understand the subtext and then see how she's twisting god's word uh during her presentation it's um mm -hmm. yeah there's just say there's some problems there some some big ginormous problem. So that's what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, and I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. And uh, since we're going to be starting with a William Tapley, Third third Eagle of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the End Times update, well, yeah, that requires us to do, well, this. Listen to Third Eagle's tune, doom and gloom, God is telling us the end is coming soon, very soon, you'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon, doom and gloom, very soon, rapture comes at night or noon, doom and gloom, very soon, if you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. 
All right, that's uh, William Tapley's uh, song, Doom and Gloom, written and performed by William Tapley. So what we're going to be listening to is uh, William Tapley's latest video um, from his video blog over there at YouTube, entitled Rapture in 2015. Rapture in 2015. And, uh, yeah, this is a dangerous thing to be uh, a date-setting dude. And, uh, well, we've already documented that William Tapley is a false prophet. He prophesied a few years ago that the Super Bowl wouldn't happen. And, yeah, do you, do you all remember that year when there was no Super Bowl? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's been a Super Bowl every year. And it will, probably will be until the end of the earth. But uh, William Tapley prophesied a couple of years ago there would be no Super Bowl, but there was. So that makes him a false prophet. But he's really hanging it out here now and in, in claiming that uh, he really believes that the book of Tobias reveals yeah, that the rapture this year, man, this year. Here's uh, William Tapley to explain. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I am your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse and the co-prophet of these end Times. And I'm wearing a nice warm shirt today because this morning in Forestport, New York, it was 27 degrees below zero. And it is still below zero out there, so it is very cold. And I'm sure. Yeah, yeah that below zero stuff. I know all about it now living here in uh, North Dakota. And uh, yeah, we've had uh, lows pretty much about the same temperature overnight as what you're talking about there. Kind of normal here for North Dakota, though. And uh, yeah, it, it is cold for sure cold where you are because i believe this cold wave stretched even into the deep south of the united states and this program will be part four in my series on the book of tobias and we are going to make an amazing discovery and that is i believe this book tells us the length of time of the marriage supper of the lamb the, the what? The length of time. How long is the party going to last, William Tapley? Now, as you know, many Bible scholars believe that the seven years of tribulation has not yet begun. And that's because they believe that the marriage supper of the Lamb lasts for seven years. Now, they base this. <laughs> what? <laughs> Which biblical scholars are you reading? On the fact that the ancient Hebrew marriage feast lasted for seven days. And since the rapture has not yet occurred, therefore, the seven years of marriage has not yet occurred in heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the seven years of tribulation, therefore, cannot yet have occurred. And of course, as you, my regular subscribers, know, I have been saying all along, that not only has the seven years of tribulation begun, but the second half of the tribulation has begun. Ah, right. So there you go. In uh, William Tapley's eschatology, and Lord help anybody who thinks this guy is actually telling them the truth, uh, <laughs> pray for those people because he does have subscribers who take him literally. Um, but uh, he not only says that uh, we're in the tribulation, but we're like now into the like second half of the tribulation. And oh, how I wish he was right. He just want. <laughs> Just, you know, if I could just look down the road and say, you know, I can make it till those couple of years from now, huh? Yeah, yeah, boy, I was kind of wishing he he was right, but the guy's a total wingnut. Words, the three and one half years of great tribulation. 
Of course, all we have to do is look around us to see that the Great Tribulation cannot be of great consequence. And, of course, the answer is... <laughs> right. I. That, <laughs> yeah. See, uh, William Tapley literally is saying here that uh, the, the, there's nothing great about the Great Tribulation. Like, literally. I mean, it seems to, you know seems to kind of be like almost a non-event, you know, kind of like World War III, because World War III, according to him, started a few years back with a conflict in Korea. And, you know, we, you know, in fact, World War III is so inconsequential that nobody's writing about it. Nope, nobody. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there, in fact, it's pro- World War III is such a non-event that it's probably not even going to make it into the history books. <laughs> Like the Great Tribulation, there doesn't seem to be anything super duper great about the Great Tribulation. So, yeah, it's 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 almost as if the the Great Tribulation is pretty much a non-event. Jesus is shortening the days, but how much longer will he shorten the days? As I have said many times on this program, I believe Armageddon occurs in the fall of 2017. All right, so can you make it to the fall of 2017? That's the Battle of Armageddon. Write it in your calendar. You know, you know. Well, if you don't use you know a paper calendar, you know, put it in your tablet device or smartphone. You know, fall of 2017. We're out of here. It's it's the end. You know, it's all over. And I believe the Book of Tobias tells us how long the marriage supper of the Lamb will last. Therefore, all we have to do is to subtract that time from the fall of 2017. And I believe we are going to find out that the rapture of the church must occur this year, in the year of 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all you got to do is, number one, um, add a book to the Bible called Tobias, which isn't part of the Bible. And then you just work from the assumption that, you know, the Armageddon's in the fall of 2017, and then you go to an obscure passage in the book of Tobias, and then start with the, uh, you know, the year, the fall of 2017, and count backwards from this text in the book of Tobias, and you know what you come up with? Uh-huh. <laughs> 2015. That's right, folks. We're out of here. You know, sometime soon. Calgon, take me away. And, of course, if the rapture occurs this year, then the terrible effects of the Great Tribulation, including the reign of the Antichrist, will also occur this year. So the reign of the Antichrist is going to be really short. (laughs) Like, really, really, really short. It starts this year, though, you know, along with the rapture. Okay, I think you kind of get the point, and I think we need to move along. So, uh, have you ever considered uh, going in and getting a prophetic reading for, you know, to find out the prophetic significance of your tattoos and piercings? Um, <laughs> yeah, this is a service offered by... Uh, uh, Doug Addison of the Spirit Connection, and uh, here is a commercial, no joke, for Doug Addison's prophetic tattoo interpre- interpretation, uh, which you can actually take an online training course in order to perfect. <laughs> <laughs> 
interpret people's tattoos. Here's the YouTube commercial. Here we go. You have got to check out Doug Addison's prophetic tattoo and piercing online trading website. It truly is the first of its kind. After years of on-the-street experience with interpreting dreams, Doug discovered that quite often body art has a deeper meaning. Who would have thought that tattoos and piercings could have hidden prophetic messages from God? You'll discover Doug... (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thought? I mean, I could... I would have never thought that... that Tattoos and piercings had hidden prophetic meanings from. I had no idea. This, whew, consider my mind to be blown. Boom, you know? Secrets to interpreting body art. You'll also discover the most popular tattoos and their meanings, significance of their placement, how to recognize hidden metaphoric messages, and a ton more. You'll get everything you need to get started. It is absolutely amazing, and thousands of people have taken the online training already. Thousands, thousands of people have taken the online prophetic tattoo interpretation training course. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Take it right now online. Just go to DougAddison.com to find out more. Yeah. So are, are you looking to figure out the prophetic meaning of your tattoos? I've always wondered about that with mine. And, uh, well, Doug Addison, I'm sure, is, is competent and um, is skilled with his Bible to the point where he is able to give you spiritual and prophetic significant insight into your tattoos, special prophetic meaning, and and piercings as well. And just to kind of give you an idea of, you know, the caliber, and I, I, I don't know if that's the right word, but the caliber, the... The just the the sheer magnitude and depth of prophetic and biblical insight that uh, Doug Addison is capable of bringing to the world. I mean, I went to his YouTube channel and just watched a few minutes of his um, n- November twenty fourteenth Spirit Connection Live. I mean, I hope you're sitting down. I, I really do hope you're sitting down because this will. T- I mean, thousands of people, and that's true. Thousands of people have availed themselves of the prophetic insights of Doug Addison, the tattoo interpreter. So let's find out what kind of theology he's all about. Here's Doug Addison. Hi, this is Doug Addison. Welcome to Spirit Connection, November 2014. And I'm actually pre-recording this for you this month because uh, Linda and I are at the Bethel Leadership Advance this week. But I wanted to get the... (laughs) Bethel, yeah, up in Redding, California. Yeah, that should tell you something about his theology. In other words, he ain't got a good one. These prophetic words out to you. And also, I'm going to be doing a Q&A at the end of the questions and answers that you've submitted to us. Uh, so, hey, let's get rolling. Got some good things to share and a lot of stuff to cover uh, in our short time. So, God, we thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for the uh, the Internet and how you want to bless people through the Internet and how the webcast is going around the world now. And, Father, I just ask you to increase your presence and your power, the Holy Spirit would flow through all things, even through the recording and the um, and the iTunes podcast later on. And we just ask that you would release your presence, uh, release the prophetic anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So with a prayer like that, we should expect a release of God's presence and prophetic anointing to go along with this video. So any of you experiencing 
the prophetic anointing in God's presence while listening to Doug Addison here at Fighting for the Faith. Let me know because I, you know, I didn't experience nothing. You know, first time I was watching this. All right. Well, my website's DougAddison.com in case you don't know. And you can follow me on the daily prophetic words uh, and some of the uh, more training I'm going to be uh, mentioning a little bit later. Uh, but um want to just jump right in. November is going to be a time that God's going to build your faith and he's going to be repairing the walls of doubt. In other words, you're going to see God. Mm, so just think back now because uh, this is, you know, he recorded this prior to November of 2014. Um, in your life, did was November of 2014 that significant month when God removed the walls of doubt in in your life spiritually? Think back, um, you know, because this is past tense now. So, um, anything? Yeah, no, I don't seem to recall November of 2014. You know, the prophetic walls of doubt being eliminated in my life. Maybe I wasn't paying attention. A move, a new plan from heaven is being released over you, uh, but you will have to battle to get to it and get through. Oh, see, I forgot to battle. I knew I forgot to do something. See, that's why I didn't have the walls of doubt removed, you know, during the month of November of last year, because I had no idea. I just didn't know that I had to battle for that, you know. It. I uh, just want to say, hold on right now because people are experiencing a lot of things, and uh, and really, God is moving right now. God is continuing to reveal and to restore these lost prophetic promises and inheritances in your life. Lost prophetic promises and inheritance. How did they get lost? I mean, is it like you know when you know I, when one of my socks disappears? You know how like you know in your sock drawer you got you know single socks. And you can't find its mate. You know something. And I mean, the weirdest thing happens. I mean, it's like a, a vortex opens up in the dryer, and and poof, you know my you know certain socks just disappear. And you know, so it, so if you're if you have lost spiritual inheritances and and prophecies and things like that, it, it, do they go where those other socks are? Um, repayment for losses um, for the past seven years, two thousand eight. Uh, and then moving into 2014, we're going to see a lot of things happening. Expect some extreme signs from God to know that you're on the right track. Feel free to ask him for that. Um, Psalm 8617. Yeah, this sounds like a psychic cold reading kind of thing. Is um, that the, you know, show us a sign of your goodness. And uh, I always pray that, that God would show us a sign. Love and new freedom is coming to you and going to be uh, over you uh, as uh, we move into this time right now. Um, you know, I've been talking a lot about recently about uh, generational inheritances and the repayment coming to you. Generational inheritances and the repayment coming to you. Are you like a probate attorney? What are you talking about? Uh, and it's interesting that this is November. That's the 11th month. If you look at the 11th book of the Bible, it's First Kings, and it starts out with the generational uh, inheritance. It starts out with the, the, uh, the transition in battle as King David is dying, and there's a battle for his position and his inheritance, and God divinely worked it out and caused it to the supernatural generation generational inheritance is to be shifted over to his young son Solomon. I thought, wow, that is like a prophetic sign right now. That <laughs> That's a prophetic the 11th book of the Bible give you a prophetic sign for like right now because of inheritances? Uh-huh. 
uh, of what God is doing because uh, there is a shift going on uh, with these uh, generational inheritances. I've written a lot of things on my blog. You can look it up on my website and go to my blog and hit the search and um, you know go down a little bit on the right-hand side and ser- hit the search and you can search for inheritances uh, and see some of the other things that I've written about it. Yeah, I released a prophetic word uh, last month in September about... You, you did. You personally released a prophetic word. A seven-year cycle, yeah. 2001, 2008. Uh, you know, in 01 we had the uh, the downturn. Uh, and in, in 2008, uh, you know, another uh, very difficult time uh, with the... Um, uh, excuse me, the downturn was in 2008. Uh, but the... Uh, Sorry, uh, the uh, 2001 was 9/11. The downturn was in 2008, and uh, but we're going to get a breakthrough in 2015. But check this out: on Sunday, October 19th, I was awakened at 5:20 a.m. and there's an angel in my house. Uh, Did you get a gun? Uh, and God spoke to me that He was uh, reconciling the books of heaven over us. Ah, so there, an angel was was he rummaging through your kitchen looking for a midnight snack? What exactly was he doing in your home? But you said that God revealed that this angel is reconciling books over us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, so to speak, uh, it, from 2008 till now, not, not just 2008, but the last seven years, things that have happened that have gotten off off track uh, and that God is restoring these things right now. So watch for these adjustments. Watch for these repayments uh, that are due you. Uh, the, enemy, uh, the enemy overplayed his hand against you. Yeah. And God is um, he's just. He has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten me. I spent hours that morning. This is just two weeks ago. I spent hours uh, going through every page of my journal for 2008. And I made a list of things uh, that either never took place, that were robbed or stolen, delayed in happening. I just made this list of things and began to pray through. And I was actually quite surprised of how many things I found. Um, and not just in 08, you know, I continued on from there and went through the next couple of years, but 2008 was really the start of it. And so I started just two weeks ago, I started praying and declaring repayment and restoration in my life. And one thing that happened for us after 2008, uh, was that we went $40,000 in debt as a ministry, uh, and it held on until, uh, 2013. Now we had never been in debt before. Um, and the... What exactly does your ministry do? I mean, what kind of ministry are you offering? This prophetic tattoo and interpretation and just speaking nonsense from time to time on YouTube? That's your ministry? Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, again, if you're looking to figure out the prophetic significance of, you know, of your tattoo... Um, I could think of no greater person to interpret prophetically what your tattoo really sig- signifies in the spiritual realm than uh, Doug Addison. I yeah, I highly recommended for me. Yeah, way way. Fact, if there, I can think of nobody else to go to to find the prophetic significance of my tattoo. So. 
All right, we are up on our first break. If we're... <laughs> If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have an extended Larry Huck um, Hebrew-ish heresies segment. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Men, this egregious foe has been plaguing the seas for long enough. To arms! Man the battle stations and hoist the colors! Aye, aye, sir. Man the battle stations and hoist the colors! Man drummer and man battle station. Aye, aye, sir. You heard the man. Get to work. Come on, let's keep going. The enemy's not going to wait for us. Put your back to the Captain, sir, they're turning to meet us. With this clear weather, we couldn't have had the element of surprise. Well, no matter. We have the wind on our side, and our men are ready. We should be pulling up alongside them any minute now. Give me a status report! Sir, the enemy ship has us outgunned by at least three to one. The gunner's mates are reporting that we're running low on gunpowder and half the crew is suffering from Montezuma's revenge. Never fear, my good man, for it says that with God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. If you say so, Captain Furnick. They're now within firing range, Captain. Mr. Smithers, send them a... Now, now, hang on. <clears throat> Let me do this myself. Send them a warning shot off of their port bow. Fire the cannons, I sir! That was merely a warning shot, Captain. They could have very well have hit us. I think they wished for us to surrender to avoid bloodshed. Nonsense! 
You think we would surrender in an hour of triumph? God has clearly stated that no weapon formed against you will prosper. We can't lose. Let loose the cannons. But, but we're not within violence. If I wanted your opinion, I'd have given it to you. I say, fire! I've never seen a warning shot where they used all their cannons before. The blasted fool shot before he was in range. I can only assume that he means to not surrender. Quickly fire a barrage into their port side while they reload. Aye, aye, sir. Fire the cannons! my side. He said this to me, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Why Why aren't we firing our cannons? We've now lost half our cannons due to the last attack. Come on, men. We can't lose. Aye, aye, sir. Are they even trying anymore? By all accounts, I believe they are. Let's pull up alongside and see if we can't reason with them. It would be bad form to slaughter them without mercy. Hello, over there! Go away! We have nothing to say to you! I wanted to negotiate the terms of your surrender. My surrender? It is you who will be surrendering to us. What on earth is he talking about, Captain? Maybe he's suffering from malnutrition and heat stroke? No, I, I think he's serious. Now look here. You're outgunned with no way of winning. We wish to show you mercy. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Why is he quoting the Bible? No, a quote would require a context. What he's done is called proof texting. Enough talk, men. Ready? Aim. What was that? I couldn't hear you over the sound of your mass being demolished. But, but, uh, no! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, would you look at that? Your rudder is gone, too. <clears throat> It'll be a little difficult for you to sail without it, don't you think? I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Is it me? Or is your ship now sinking? Nah, maybe it is me. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. If it's all the same to you, I think we've lost this fight. I'm surrendering. Geronimo! Take me with you. I can't take another minute with this lunatic. Stop it! Stop it right now! All of you come back! We, we, we can't lose! We have... God on our side. We shall prevail. We will. Well, that was surprisingly easy. Makes me wonder how they were even viewed as a threat in the first place. Most inept sailors to ever sail the seven seas.
Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Down, click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com, write down the promo code, click on the ad banner and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your favorite televangelist or internet prophet, especially if they're into prophetic tattoo readings. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That is a great way to support us. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we cannot do what we are doing here Without it, moving along. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there when I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare. I got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are, standing in a row. Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life. Sing and roll a bowl, a ball, a penny, a pitch. Sing and roll a bowl, a ball, a penny, a pitch. Sing and roll a bowl, a ball, a penny, a pitch. Roll a bowl, a ball. Roll a bowl, a ball. Sing and roll a bowl, a ball, a penny, a pitch. That's right. Got a lovely bunch of coconuts. I think that is appropriate music for what it is that we're about to be listening to. Yeah, are you familiar with uh, the Moadim? Mm-hmm. You're thinking Moadim. Is that uh, some uh, unit in the military of ISIS or something? Yeah, the, the ISIS Moadim. No, that's not what we're talking about here. So what we're going to be listening to is Larry Huck and his wife, Tiz. Um, this is a recent episode of theirs from their Larry Huck Ministries television program entitled The Hidden Hand of God. And this, Well, it's all about how God wants to like tackle you and, and bless you. 
but you, you got to understand the Moadim. Yeah, yeah. You, you just got to get that because if you don't get it, you know, then you're going to miss the opportunity to be blessed by God. And well, of course, you know, Purim is coming up, and you know that's an important Christian holiday. You know, because you know for centuries Christians have no, actually they haven't. Here's uh, Larry and Tiz Huck to explain. Here we go. ...of being Christians and hearing Scripture over and over again. It's kind of like the dripping faucet. Yeah. We hear it, but we don't really hear it yeah. with ears to hear at, because we've heard it so often. Mm-hmm. But one of the Scriptures that that has really, really changed my life in as I've studied the Jewish roots, as we've studied yeah. the Jewish roots, is where God says, is there not mm. an appointed time? Yes. And yeah. Yeah, it, oh, listen to Tiz. Oh, yes. And by the way, this is supposedly Leviticus 23.4. So let's t- take a look at that. Um, how much do you want to bet we're not going to be listening to it in context? Okay, so Leviticus 23.4. Um, hmm. He said, is there not an appointed time? That's how Larry Huck read it. But hmm, let me read it in context. We're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis to see if Larry Huck is speaking to us biblical truth or if he's twisting God's word in order to make a buck, which I think is what Larry Huck is really all about. Uh, Leviticus 23, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. Say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall not, you shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all of your dwellings. 23.4. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, it is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh is a holy convocation, and you shall not do any ordinary work." So, well, Leviticus 23 is listing out the different feast days. So Larry Huck says Leviticus 23.4, oh, God's saying, is there not an appointed day? Well, appointed day for what? You know, the Mosaic Covenant feast days? And by the way, we're no longer under the Mosaic Covenant. And the reason is, you wow. know, people ask us all the time, in studying the Jewish roots, what's really changed yeah. in your life? And and I can say two things. Number one is, is how God expects us to... To treat each other. Yes. Love God yes. and love your neighbor. Yeah. I mean, that has changed our life in the way we treat. You didn't know that love God, love neighbor was the two commandments in which all of the law and the prophets hang. You you had no idea about that until you started studying the the Jewish roots of Christianity. Really? It's not like Jesus didn't say, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself on these all the Law and the prophets hang. It's it's not like he said that, or you, you know, Jesus actually said that. Each other, we talk to each other. How we look for an opportunity. We look, we yeah. seek. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't mm-hmm. worry about what you're going to wear. But seek ye first the kingdom of God yeah. and His righteousness. The word righteous means look for a chance to do an act of kindness. Yes. Uh, no. No, that's not what that means there. By the way, he was quoting Jesus out of context. Surprise. 
from the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6 is where we find, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But the problem is, is that that exists in a context, and, well, Larry Heck didn't actually give us the context. And so as a result of it, we really don't know what's going on there. And he says that, oh, righteousness there, you know, look for opportunities to do good things. No, that's not what's going on. So uh, again, three rules for sound biblical exegesis are context, context, yeah, and context. And uh, so Matthew six twenty five is where we'll begin. Jesus says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So notice all of these anxieties, the true root of them, according to Jesus, is that they don't have faith. They don't trust and believe God. So therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. His righteousness. What's the his righteousness mean? It doesn't mean doing good works. His righteousness is gift given to you by grace through faith. That's why Paul in Philippians 3 talks about not having a righteousness of his own that comes through the law, but the righteousness that is by faith. Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount is preaching for Faith, that's what he's preaching for. And uh, it, the kind of faith where God declares you to be righteous. And God will take care of all of your needs is what he's saying there. So, yeah, we've got two verses out of context by Larry Huck here. Sh- surprise, though. I mean, I, I'm sure those of you who love Harry, uh, Larry Huck are shocked that he's twisting God's word so badly. But the reality is, is he, there isn't a time when he rightly handles God's word. This is his modus operandi. This is how he operates every single day. When he opens up the Bible, he twists it, mangles it, and makes it say things that it doesn't say. Such and a good through, word. Huh? Such a good word. It, I mean, mm. it's changed our lives. It's, yeah. it's, it's opened so many doors mm. to us and the, for the blessing of God. When we, when we need a blessing, yeah. we pray God show us where to be a blessing. Yes. Oh, yeah. So if you need a blessing from God, just ask God, show me where to be a blessing, because then by being a blessing, you can be blessed. Mm-hmm. Blessing by works righteousness. But the other thing that's really changed in us studying the Jewish roots is Tiz realizing how much God loves us. Oh, yeah. That it is yeah. the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom, that yep. that he's running to and fro looking for someone. Yes. He can be strong yes. on their behalf. Yes. And- yeah, God's just looking for somebody. I mean, so hard to find somebody to be strong on their behalf, you know. So difficult. Yeah. Guys, his eyes are wandering all over the earth. I, you know, I'm all confused and I'm not sure who I can, who I can bless. And I'm looking to and fro here. I need somebody. I, you know, I'm a little confused who to pick. 
that's tied in to the Hebrew understanding of is there not an appointed time? Yeah. Mm. The reason why, now listen to this, the reason why God gives us Moedims, appointed mm. times in the Bible. I'm sorry, but if you know Hebrew, then you know that he, when he put the S on Moedim, he called it Moedims. When he put the S on it, that's like that's like double plural. I mean, it'd be like putting two S's. On, yeah. Anyway, if you know Hebrew, you know what I'm talking about. Every year, every week in the calendar is because he wants to he wants to catch up with us. Right. Oh he, yeah, God. He, uh, can you slow down? I really am trying to catch up, you know. Wants us to catch up with the blessing yes. that he has for us. Yes. And, and go, go ahead. Well, you know, Larry, a lot of times you're teaching on uh, how a lot of people think that God is out to get them. That God is a God of judgment. Oh, exactly. That God is chasing you down to judge you or punish you. And you say this all the time, that, yeah, he's chasing you. But he's chasing you down to bless you, to release his promises and his blessings in your life. Absolutely. Totally changes everything. Totally. He's not. Yeah, except for, <laughs> what do you do with that passage in, you know, like John chapter 3? You think of John chapter 3. What's What's in John chapter 3? Well, there's this, um, <clears throat> here's what it says at the end of John chapter 3. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. That's verse 35. Here's 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, present. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the wrath of God. Rem- I wonder what they would do with a text like that. You see, because I think Larry and Tiz Huck, they, I think they're Q-tip preachers, you know? He's not looking. He's not looking to spank us. Amen. God is looking to bless yeah. us, and so He gives us these moedims. Yeah. These ap- see, God just wants to bless you, and so he, if you only you knew about the moedims. Again, the double plural is ridiculous. Pointed times, you know, it's the it's the whole reason why I wrote the book on the four blood moons. Well, you encourage me and so many of the staff and folks encourage us around the world is the four blood moons. God saying, look, I've got this is number eight. Yeah, this hasn't had number eight since the time of Jesus. Incredible. And and (laughs) oh, incredible. Oh, amazing. This is the eighth four blood moon tetrad cycle since the death of Jesus. Oh, oh, it's just changing everything, you know? God showing us this is not to show us that he's got an appointment to judge us. Yeah. But like Jesus said, when you see. Right. And you're, I'm going to show you something today that is going to change your life. When you see these things happening, yes. look up. And lift up your head. Yeah. And we always teach in Hebrew, whenever you see something written twice, how can you look up without <laughs> lifting up your head? Yeah. God's not being redundant. Yeah. He said, when you see mm. these signs. Yeah, yeah, no, actually, nowhere in the Bible are we told to look for the four blood moon tetrads. That's not any of the signs. Again, I hate to be redundant here, but... When the moon turns to blood in Scripture, there's a reason for that. Is because, well, it also concurrently so happens in those passages that it says that the sun is darkened. 
So if the sun were darkened, what would immediately happen to the moon? Because the moon doesn't shine its own light. It borrows all of its light from the sun. So if the sun is darkened, what would it? What would the moon look like? Oh, it would look like, well, it had turned to blood. You're right. So at the blood moon thing, the reason why Scripture did not warn us about blood moons is because that is a normal cycle of lunar eclipses and lunar eclipses have been happening a lot a lot since like jesus ascended into heaven and the moon goes back to normal yeah when you see these appointed times lift up your head be victorious be excited be happy be yeah go ahead and lift up your head and be excited and be happy the same way that linus was excited and happy at the at the soon to be arriving arrival of of the great pumpkin because his pumpkin patch was the sincerest you know just lift up your heads and you can be like linus awaiting the arrival of the great pumpkin that's what these people are doing They're, this is linus theology cause your answer your redemption yes. your miracle mm. is on Amen. its way oh yeah it, it it's on its way man your miracle's coming dude no doubt about it yeah cuz you know like there's a four blood moon yeah mm-hmm. that's why god gives us yes. appointed times yes. and he has them every week on the sabbath he has them several times a right. year uh, it, it's not by coincidence that right now, now listen to me, what we're going to teach you this week and for the next three weeks mm-hmm. has never been here in the history of the world, mm. the way it is right now. Wow. You know, I say this. So you're, you're doing something totally new. that's never been done before. Yeah. Well, God's going to bless that, you know, just make up your own stuff all the time. If you're watching in ancient Hebrew, there's no word for coincidence. coincidence. God has a miracle. That's right. Tis we're in the four blood moons. Mm. We're in. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> She's like his cheerleader. We're in the four blood moons. Mm, mm. Oh, this is the best stuff. Oh, yes. Amen. Nonsense. The middle of the four blood moons, we're in the year of Shemitah. Wow. Shemitah. <laughs> Shemitah. Is when God changes your finances. And oh, if yeah. you see this, uh-huh. you're going to become the lender, not the borrower. Oh, if, yeah, you, you, oh man, you're going to be so wealthy. You're going you're gonna to be giving money to people and they're going to owe you. Yeah, You're going to become the head and not yes. the tail. If yes. you see this. So it's four blood moons. Mm-hmm. That's an appointed time. That's mm. never number eight, which means number eight means a new beginning. The name yeah. of our church here in Dallas. It means uh, uh, the supernatural. Yeah. We're also in Shemitah. Mm-hmm. And at the end of Shemitah, we go into Jubilee. Right. Where debts are canceled. Freedom takes place. Miracles take place. Mm. And I believe in all my heart, the beginning of the time of the Messiah, Ooh. the birthing of that latter rain. Yep. But right now, uh, so the birthing of the latter rain is going to take place. Apparently, you know, this is going to be a spiritual water breakage. Uh, maybe that was what that mem- that bulging membrane was all about that uh, Chuck Pierce was talking about. I, I think you kind of get the idea of what's going on here. The- I mean, this is just a con. In the middle of four blood moons, mm-hmm. right now, in the middle of Schmidtah, yeah, the financial change. Right going into Jubilee, mm. we are in the month of Adar. Yeah. 
We are in what's called Purim. We're getting mm -hmm. ready for what's called Purim, yes. the casting of lots. Yes. And it's all about the book of Esther. Mm, I love now, this. Now, listen to what we're saying. The book of Esther, and I, 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 I'm just feeling the, I, I'm feeling the power of the I Holy know. Ghost. I yes. can see it on your face. <laughs> yeah, no, you're feeling the power of greed. As you know that you're just, oh, you got people just eating out of your hand right now. They're going to be sending you money pretty soon. <laughs> it, it, God is getting ready to do phenomenal miracles. The book of Esther is the only book in the entire Bible that doesn't even mention the name of God. Doesn't even mention it. Gosh. And the whole purpose of that is that in the story of Esther, yeah. everything seems to be getting worse right. and worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And yet everything that seems to be going against yeah. Esther, going against Mordecai, going against the children of Israel, going against you mm. behind the scenes... And that's why it's called the hidden hand of God yes. or the hidden face of God. Mm. Behind the scenes, God is turning the story oh. upside down. Come on. That's what this is all about. That's yeah. what this Moedim is all about. Yeah. So apparently this all has to do with the Moedim, right? About telling the story mm. in the month. Mm. Yes, he's making the yummy sound. For the Dar, mm. the month of great joy, great blessing. That it may look, and yeah. I want you to talk about this when, you, when we come back, because you were talking about this yeah. uh, uh, as we were preparing to come out. Yes. About a decree. Uh-huh. The king, yep. the the ruler, the one with all the power, yeah. has declared a decree mm. that the Jews were be, to be destroyed. Mm. And nothing in the natural right. could change that right. decree. But God was working behind oh, the scenes yes. and turned... <laughs> Come on, yes. She's sitting there going, oh, honey, you're bringing home the bacon. Oh, we, we're going to buy that next Learjet. Oh, I can feel it coming. The story upside Amen. down. And this is a sign. Mm. You know, in, in Hebrew, it teaches that whenever you see or hear of a miracle or a blessing yeah. in somebody else's life, it means because you're next. That's right. Oh, and yeah. As soon as you recognize a miracle in somebody, you're the next up. It's like going to the wedding and catching the bouquet. Wow. Who knew? And so yes. when we talk about Esther and God turning the story upside Amen. down, maybe the devil has declared mm. a decree against you yeah. in your health, your marriage, about it. And I want you to talk about that when we come, come back. back. But God is going to turn your story yes. upside down. Yes. This is an appointed That's time right. to take what seems impossible yes. and flip it upside mm. down. Come on. You know, God is God 20. Yeah. Um, again, none of this is actually taught in scripture. This is all they're doing. I mean, this is they're whipping people up into a frenzy and they're saying, oh, maybe Satan has cursed my finances. And I got to I got to jump in on these Moedim so that I can be blessed. I mean, if God doesn't want to judge me, I mean, I'm kind of glad about that, because if, you know, if he was paying attention to the things I was doing in my life, he wouldn't be too happy. <laughs> but he doesn't want to judge me. He just wants to bless me. Oh, all I got to do is. You know, figure out this Moadim stuff. Woohoo! Yeah, and, and I can I can find a blessing that God's doing in somebody else's life, so I can be next. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is a con, huge con.
24-7, every month of every, every year. Yes, But during these Moedims, the appointed times, Ooh. God is doing something yes, special. And God. this is when God, during the, the mm. Purim, during the month of Adar, God turns your weeping into joy. Yes. He turns your, your hurt into victory. Yes. You watch God turn your story upside Amen. down. And so there's no way. Uh, you've you've got to hear the whole story oh, yeah, of Purim. Yep. I mean, oh, it, yeah, you got to hear the whole story, which means you probably should write a check and send it to Larry Huck so they can send you the whole story. It is it is like one thing after yeah. another. And so, you know, we've we've got the gifts on the teaching of Purim, the the story of Esther. Yeah. We've got uh, the, they've got product, you know. These are just phenomenal. We we have these made special for you for this the uh the crown these of Queen awesome. Esther, which is awesome that when you yeah. wear uh, trinket. Wear this. When you wear this, you look at that. You, I, you know, you, you look at yourself in the mirror and look yeah. at that and say, you know what? What God did for Esther oh, come on. and what God did through Esther, yeah. God is going to do it for me. Yeah. Because uh, you were made for such a time as this. And we've got the mezuzah. And we'll talk about that more in our announcers. going to talk realize, about it. Did you realize, Larry, that has a little scroll in it? Yeah. How amazing I know. is that? I know. It's got the scroll yeah. of Esther in it. We've got a mezuzah keychain, which I have. I- I'm not wearing the Queen Esther crown. Tis- <laughs> so how much for the tchotchkes? <laughs> Where's this? But I've got the keychain. I-, I We we keep this. Yeah, we we keep these keychains and these mezuzahs not only on our doors, but yeah. we keep them in every vehicle That's that right. we have to remind the enemy yep. that you have no place here. That's you cannot right. cross this. That's this is oh, so they're they're like you know talismans. Yeah, right. bought property, yeah. bought lives by the blood of Jesus. Amen. We'll tell you more of, about that. But it, it, I know you would help us do this without these gifts. But this is our way yeah. of saying thank you thank and you. and a way of just slapping the devil in the yeah. face. Yeah, and, you want to slap the devil in the face? Send the money to Larry Huck, and they'll send you some you know really cheap. Chachkis. saying you can you can declare something on these people yeah but jesus christ has declared something different yes but w- what i'm asking you to do and we'll give you these gifts as you ha- help us do this is right so, now we have soldiers yeah who believe in jesus we have soldiers who are just just uh, uh young jewish men and women yes. in israel that are out in the front lines mm. defending the land so our Messiah can return. Wow. And th- uh, what? Israeli soldiers are defending the land of Israel so that Jesus can return? If the Muslims took over, he couldn't return? These are battery packs that we're partnering with, with the military in Israel, yeah. that as these kids, and they are kids, yes. they are babies, and yeah. so many of them, yeah. l- young men, young women, yeah. somebody's little girl, somebody's little boy, yeah. that they're out there and their parents don't know what's happening with mm-hmm. them. Uh, these are battery packs that they can recharge their yes. cells yeah. and read the word of God, yes. contact their mom and dad, yeah. let them know they're okay. Amen. And I can't tell you how. You mean the, the Israeli military is incapable of issuing the Israeli soldiers rechargeable batteries to charge up their cell phones? What on earth? How much the military in Israel is excited about oh, you yeah. and I helping their soldiers. Tiz and I will be right back.
We are now in the time of Purim on the biblical calendar, a powerful season of unprecedented favor. Oh, yeah, unprecedented favor. It's one of the Moedims, you know. Dramatic breakthrough and supernatural victory. Beginning today, Pastors Larry and Tiz want so much for you to experience these miracle blessings in your life. Yeah, all you got to do is send them money. As you connect with this incredible revelation, you're taking a step of faith in the right direction. Uh-huh. To better understand the story of Esther, we'd like to send you this beautifully detailed multi-page study booklet. You can use this as a reference for Bible studies or for explaining the amazing story of Esther to you. Yeah, based on what I've seen and heard, I don't think anybody getting this book would have any deeper meaning of the book of Esther. If anything, they wouldn't know anything about what it actually teaches. Your children and friends, it's available today for your gift of any size to the ministry. Pastor Larry is asking that you consider sending a gift of at least $53 today. This is the minimum of... Yeah, just send 53 because so they can send rechargeable batteries to the Israeli army. ...mount needed to provide one of these battery packs to the young men and women serving in Israel's army. It will recharge their cell phone three to four times and allow them to stay in touch with their family while deployed in the field. And- I... Wow. I just... When you think it just cannot get sleazier and more bizarre, it just ends up doing that. I think you get the point. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to be reviewing Christine Kane's speech from the 2015 Passion Conference. Yeah, it's not good. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Quiet on set! Lights! Camera! Action! Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents... Cut! 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 We don't need lights. This is for radio. Fine! Strike the lights, people! Striking! Can we keep the camera? No. No camera. Oh. But can we at least have some action? Let me look at the budget. Yeah, we can have some action. All right, then. Places, everyone! Action! Now, oh, what is it this time? Um, we're not actually doing the Max Holiday right now. We're not? Then what are we doing? Well, we're actually promoting Mac and Trio, Inc. What on earth is that? It's a brand new company dedicated to providing quality and wholesome entertainment for all ages. That sounds interesting. Actually, Mac and Trio Inc. has already published three children's books that are available for purchase in both a digital and a hard copy format. And we even have a weekly online comic strip. Additionally, Mac and Trio Inc. is currently developing board games, card games, and even a children's television show. That 
sounds awesome. Where can I go to see all these great things? It's really simple. Just go to bit.ly forward slash Mac and Trio. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash M-A-C-K-I-N-T-R-I-O. That's a wrap, folks! to a Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. It's not technically a sermon, though. It's from the Passion 2015 conference from earlier this year. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon it's not really a sermon it's a conference speech from uh, earlier this year in january um delivered by christine kane of hillsong at the passion conference i think this was the atlanta one uh, this is put on by louis giglio and you got to kind of understand the context if you are a college student you can attend if you are, well, a 47-year-old male, no, you can't. Yeah, this is a youth thing, but a specific age group, and you got to understand, they're trying to motivate and recruit kids. This is a recruiting speech, if you would. So I think if you understand that, what are they recruiting them in? Well, into the movement, into the community. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Christine Kane from the 2015 Passion Conference. Here we go. People say Jesus is alive. Come on, touch him. Did you know Jesus is alive? Jesus is alive. Amen. Amen. Jesus is alive. You can be seated. Oh, I'm loving Passion 2015. Anyone else loving what the Lord's doing at Passion 2015? Whoa, I so love Pastor Louie and, and Shirley. And, you know, it's so weird being privileged by God to be allowed to be a part of history. I mean, sometimes you could be in the middle of something and not even know it. I do enough laps of the globe every year to know that this isn't normal, what's happening in here and has been happening for, you know, nearly two decades um, all the time. That you, you don't ever take that for granted. It, it is not normal. And to whom much is given, much is required. And God's poured his spirit out lavishly in our midst because he's got great things for us to do in this place. But God always works through leadership. It's, it's the way his order has worked all the way through scripture. And he continues 
to do that. And he puts his hand on people and he anoints people um, in certain times and certain places for certain purposes. And we ought to thank God in this nation and across the world and in this arena in particular that God has raised up Pastor Louie and Shelley and they have stayed faithful to the call of God, the cause of God. We honor you. We thank God for you. And we thank God for this whole movement. And um, I'm so full already. After last night, I could have almost gone home when Pastor Louie started talking about it being finished. And, you know, I know a little Greek myself because I am Greek and I am little and I didn't speak English until I was five. So I feel like um, when they throw out Greek words, I'm like, hey, man, I I knew that in the womb. But anyway, so um, when it comes out, it is finished. If we just understood the power of that, we were done. And because it is finished and he finished it and then he commissioned us to go and do it, that's really all we needed. We could just go out and do it, really. It's all kind of nailed there. But then as if that wasn't enough, Pastor John Piper this morning just, I mean, I was weeping in my seat. I don't know if you got it. Some of you got it because there was such an impartation that happened. You'll never be the same and you'll go back to Uh, What? Such an impartation that happened? Yeah, don't anyone ever forget where... Christine Kane comes from. She is from Hillsong. She is down the line, charismatic Pentecostal tongue speaking. Yeah, when she's starting to when she talks about impartations and stuff like that, you say, well, well, this is the kind of stuff we hear from Patricia King. Right. The difference is Patricia King doesn't quite have Christine Kane's chops, but believe me, they are two people cut from the same cloth. Campuses, it'll just have upended you what happened this morning and then pastor judah told us so powerfully about the love of god and and his sex life as well with his wife but he did that that was awesome that wasn't a joke yes he really did do that there i thought i'm just not even touching that okay so um but told us about god's incredible love for us and then lecrae talking about the glory of god and that's our job is to to glorify him on this earth. And really what you're going to see is none of us get together before we come to passion and say, you speak about this and then I'll speak about this and then I'll speak about this and I'll speak about this. But what will freak you out is God just builds layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And you go, how did that happen? Did they get in a room and plan it? But that's not how that happens. It's just the same Holy Spirit that unites us all and actually leads that. You ought to have a lot of confidence and and strength in the middle of that. So really, I'm just going to pick up from what the Lord's been doing and just continue in the flow of what is happening here. You know, I've been living in America now for four and a half, almost five years, and I love this nation because it's kind of the land of options. And um, it's, it's amazing. You have options for everything. And you go into the, the Cheesecake Factory and there's like, like, we don't have that in Australia, but you have like 250 items on the menu or 250 choices. It's like stressful just to try to pick something to eat. But the thing is that you have those kind of options. We have nothing in our nation that would give you that. I mean, Starbucks... They did a little uh, mathematical equation, and Harvard has said, you know, it could be a little bit off, but there are up to 87,000 possible different kind of drinks that you could order, depending on one pump, two pump, this flavor, that flavor. I mean, I mean, where else would you get that? God bless you, Americans. You bring 87,000 possible ways of making coffee to the rest of the nation. Now, you, this would mean something to you if you came from Australia. Because in Australia, we don't have this thing called service that you guys have in restaurants. It's, it's an interesting concept. I'd, I'd love us to have it. But um, 
in Australia, you can have what's on the menu or what's on the menu. And um, if you want to change anything, they'll say fine, and then they'll still bring you what's on the menu. So I kind of like the fact that in America, you've got some choices. Options are really good. And we all like to keep our options open, really, don't we? They say that of the millennials. It, it makes me laugh, and you'll see my premise for really my whole talk tonight, because they say the men, millennials are the option generation, as if there's never been options. Jesus has given people the option of going to hell from the beginning. He never gave you, he never said you have to go to heaven. So the fact is, you are not the option generation. Options have been around from the beginning of time. There's always Now, there's a purpose for this speech at this point. She's trying to set things up because she wants them to make a decision. But again, this is being attended by college students. What does she want them to make a decision to do is, I think, a good question at this point. Because this has all the look and feel of some kind of a motivational speech designed to, not, to get you to not look at all of your options anymore, but make a decision for something. Options. There's always been options. But the fact is we don't want to commit to anything too soon. We kind of want to keep our options really open. I'm not really going to commit to that invite because I might get a better invite on the way to that party, so I'm sort of not really going to commit. I don't want to buy my ticket to that thing really because I might get something better and a better opportunity somewhere else. I don't really want to commit to this major at college because, you know what, something might change and I need to keep all my options open. I don't really want to commit to this relationship because there could be someone sort of better down the track. I, I don't really want to commit to this job. I'll just kind of come in while it serves my purpose and I, I don't really want to be committed. I mean, I'm from the country of 250 choices at the Cheesecake Factory. I'm, I'm from the 87th Starbucks options. I, I don't really want to commit too soon because I don't know what there might be ahead. Well, well, that's okay, but that would have been a problem on my wedding day because the minister said, Christine, will you take Nick to be your lawful wedded husband? He asked me, will you? Imagine if I just kind of stood there with the whole room going, well, you know, he's really cute. Christine, will you? Well, you know, he's a really good kisser. <laughs> I wouldn't know about anything else because I never did anything else before I married him. But anyway, so I'm just throwing that out there for one person. And so I said, uh, you know, uh, 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 he's, he's really, Christine, will you? Well, you know, he's okay for now. At some point, you've got to make that decision, will you? And by saying yes to him, it has meant I said no to anybody else. And for 19 years... Now, this is kind of weird, because what is meant by say yes to Jesus in this context? Because the kids in attendance at the Passion Conference are already Christians. So this isn't talking about salvation. This is talking about something else. She's pushing hard to get the kids to do something here grace of God, it's just gotten stronger and stronger, but I made a decision. I took a defining action 19 years ago, and I said, I will. By saying I will, and by saying yes, it meant I won't be with anybody else. I'm not going to dishonor this sacrament. Marriage is a sacrament? Weird way to talk about marriage. will be this man's lawful wedded wife. I will. So I think we would agree there are certain things. It's really good to make a 
defining decision, one where you can't go back, one where there are no plan Bs, one where there are no other options. And I want to talk to you today from the subject of you've got options. You've got options. You don't have to read the latest report coming out, the latest sociological report that will say you're just the option generation. Gee, it's hard to be committed to Jesus Christ in the 21st century because they have options. And I'm thinking, and when didn't anybody else? When did no other generation have options? I'm 49 this year. Do I look it? Oh, I want to look it. That's okay. I like getting older. It's awesome. I'm 49. Oh my gosh. I don't know that my husband would have liked that, whoever that came from. I'm old enough to be everybody's mother in this room, so none of that, okay? So here we go. (laughs) So the point is that we've always had options. When I was 22 and decided after I beheld the beauty of God that Dr. Piper talked about this morning, I then made a decision, and he made that very clear, that there has to be a decision, that I was going to follow Jesus. That meant cutting off every other option. I came from a very staunch Greek Orthodox family. My parents didn't speak to me. My family for three years brought the Archbishop of Athens, the Archbishop of Sydney, to put me through a de-brainwashing program because they thought I'd been brainwashed because I went to a Protestant church. Mm, No, actually, um, they wouldn't do that just because you went to a Protestant church. It happened to be because you were going to Hillsong. They thought I'd committed the unforgivable sin because I got water baptized as an adult by my own choice. It cost me everything. It wasn't just a nice little gimmick and just a cool thing to do because all my friends were doing it because none of my friends were becoming Christians. I didn't know then that a woman could do anything. I hadn't even really been in a Protestant church. So apart from a nun... I didn't know that a woman could be anything or do anything, but I had encountered Jesus. And I remember my family and the archbishop standing there saying to me, I want you to renounce this, Christine. This is just ridiculous. You're going to grow out of it. It's been 27 years. I still haven't grown out of it, but they're waiting for me to grow out of this thing, this this passion. But I remember with tears streaming down my face going, I met Jesus. I, I met Jesus. I'd never been in a room like this. I had never stepped into Hillsong Church. I'd never heard any Christian music. I never knew anything like this. But I encountered Jesus. And because I encountered Jesus and beheld his beauty, it led to a dramatic decision to follow Jesus. And for 27 years, I've been on that one track, on that one road. I've gotten married, but I'm still following Jesus. I had children, I'm still following Jesus. I've had disappointments, I'm still following Jesus. I've had tragedy, I'm still following Jesus. Because at some point, you've got to make a decision that I am not turning back. There are no other options. I have beheld his beauty. I don't care if there's 250 other menu items. I have found the one. And because of that one, I'm going to follow him to the end of my days in every direction that I go. Because he's Jesus. I want you to turn with me tonight. Now, notice the direction here. I, 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 I. This is all Christine Kane's willpower, and she wants them to exercise their willpower. 
the same that she has exercised her willpower. Hmm. No preaching on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. This is all me following me, 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 me. Yeah, huh. Yeah, this is kind of an interesting thing. Scripture to the book of First Kings, chapter 19. I'm going to read a lot of scripture. Uh, you're going to twist a lot of scripture. First Kings 19. In First Kings 19, I love this passage. It comes... In my Bible, after 1 Kings 18, I'm sure it probably does that in yours as well, because I think Australians and Americans have the same numerical counting system, and 19 generally comes after 18. And so, in 1 Kings 18, I mean, what a killer passage of Scripture. I mean, you've got Elijah on Mount Carmel. You've got him playing around with the prophets of Baal and wondering where their God is and did he go to the toilet and what's happened to him and what's going on. He ends up, all of them end up defeated. 450 prophets of Baal. He has this awesome victory on Mount Carmel. You think he should be on the top of the mountain, full of joy, full of victory, full of confidence. But I want you to see here what happens in 1 Kings 19. The Bible says, now Ahab told Jezebel, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. I want you to catch that. And if you're a leader in this room, I've come here specifically to speak to some of you. Jezebel sent a messenger. Some of you had had the year from hell in 2014. And that's because you were sent a messenger. That messenger might have come in the form of a tweet, a text, a phone call, a note, a letter, a disparaging comment. Because when you're on the top of the mountain and when there is a mantle at stake for a generation, that spirit of Jezebel will make sure that you will read something, you will get some kind of message, some kind of way that will just somehow so discourage you that you can go from the top of the heights to manic depressed suicidal under a tree and it's not really about you it's now notice what she did there i mean sort of kind of referenced the text isn't really read the story but already she's inserted you and me and herself right into the center of this text so you know jezebel spirits are going to try to keep you from yeah whatever's uh-huh mantle that you're supposed to throw on a generation and she wants to stop you from throwing that mantle on a generation some of you have been in uh, such oh boy you're filling these kids heads with like delusions of grandeur oh god's gonna throw a mantle onto this generation and jezebel's gonna send out a nasty tweet and make it so that uh, you're gonna be afraid right and in such darkness and in such anxiety and in such confusion and such torment in this last year because of different things, maybe on social media, maybe a phone call from a parent of someone in the, in the youth ministry or perhaps something else in your life. But somewhere you got a message and its source was from the pit of hell to get you depressed and anxious and pull you out of the fight. I've never seen it in my life like I saw it in 2014. But right here, Elijah on the cusp of this awesome victory, gets sent a messenger. And the scripture goes on, and this is what it says. It says, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Just killed 450 prophets of Baal. 
One messenger, one text, one tweet, one Instagram comment, one Facebook comment can suddenly make you afraid and run for your life. It is astounding to me what one messenger can do. It goes on. Says when he ca- apparently can keep an entire prophetic mantle from going on to a generation, you know. Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I wonder if there's been people in this room in this last year that that was your prayer. And anyone looking at you from the outside, there's no way they would think that. Because everything seems so awesome. So notice, she's doing the Stephen Furtick thing. Narcissistic eisegesis. She'll read the text and immediately switch the subject from what's going on there to you. Yeah, you know, and it, but in a way that makes it so that apparently what's going on in the scripture is supposed to be some kind of parallel pattern that's happening in your life from this narrative text. Yeah, narcissistic eisegesis. But if you're honest, you, you've prayed something very similar to this. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. Some of you, it's exactly what you need to do. Get up and do something natural and something practical. God's very practical. Yeah, so, you know, Elijah got up and after eating. So you you need to get up and, you know, do something practical too. <laughs> Weird way to read this text. What is she filling these kids' heads with? I mean, clearly she's got them hooked, but what does she want them to make a decision to do? In that place of depression, you're in that place of anxiety. And it's come from the pit, that's all it is to get you out because you've got a big assignment and there's a mantle that needs to be thrown on a generation. Oh, you have a huge assignment and there's a mantle that needs to be thrown on a generation. Right. And the greater the assignment, the greater the attack. Oh, yeah. So if you're having a huge attack, well, that means your prophetic mantle assignment's ginormous. Some of you young people need to just get off your social media and stop writing negative things about leaders because you don't know the hell some of your leaders have to go through in order to get a mantle to throw back onto your generation. You do not... Weird message. You need to stop being critical of your leaders. Wow, what is going on here? The pain and the challenge of this spiritual fight. This is not a game. This is a fight for the souls of humanity. This is a fight for a generation. Just look at the world. Just read the papers. Just have a look at what's going on in the news. If you don't think there is a devil spirit stirring things up on this earth, beheading Christians, killing people, bringing anxiety and stress and disease and sickness, then I don't know what planet you're living on. I thank God that greater is he that is in us than he that lives in the world. I thank God that our God is alive and that we've read the end from the beginning and we already have the victory. But what we need to do is stop killing each other stop depressing each other start loving each other by this will all men know that we are his disciples by the love that we have one for another and then our world will see the glory of God you do not know what your leaders are going through you don't know what your leaders are going through 
So there's a huge thread in here about don't say anything negative about your leaders. Yeah, whenever I hear something like this, I mean, I just translate it into German and we've got the word Führer. So uh, don't be critical of your Führers. You have no idea what they're going through. Elijah was just about to go and throw a mantle on Elisha. It's about your generation. Uh, the whole throwing the mantle on Elisha um, thing, that hadn't been revealed to Elijah yet. It's about throwing mantles and callings and giftings on your generation. What? So your leaders, your Führers are going to throw a mantle on your on the, the generation of college kids that are at the Passion Conference. So don't be critical and stop saying nasty things about them on Twitter. So rather than resisting and fighting, perhaps we need to incline an ear and say, what, God, what is God doing? Because there are divine alignments for divine assignments. Mm, so what is God doing through these Führers? Because there's divine alignments for divine assignments. And if you want a divine assignment from God, well, then you got to get in line and, and align with the Führers, the leaders. You're going to go on and you're going to see here how out of the midst of this victory came a great depression. The Spirit of the Lord visited Elijah, refreshed him, and sent him on an assignment to throw a mantle on the next generation. Here's Elisha. And all over the earth in the church, we're in such a handover. I want you to catch the language, not a takeover, a handover time. And so the enemy has come after leaders. And we're looking for a generation of Elishas. Uh, yeah, they're about to hand over things, you know, these, these Führers. So, you know, oh, these kids, ooh, great opportunity right now. All these opportunities and mantles are going to be handed over to them. And I'm going, what? This has nothing to do with this text. This is a fascinating lecture to watch. And I'm not going to preempt myself here. That are going to say, you know what? I'm going to be in my position for the handover. And I'm not going to try to market myself for a takeover. Because God's already working and God's moving. Let me just stay to the text and then I'll go there and I'll preach this. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb by the mountain of God. Then he went to his cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is the word of the Lord to some leaders tonight. What are you doing here? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I think he just forgot that he killed 450 of them himself. But anyway, that's what happens when depression and anxiety set in. You forget the victories that you've had in God and you become defeated by one messenger. Mm-hmm. Okay, so apparently he suffered from depression and anxiety. One messenger. One text. One comment. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, there was an earthquake, and after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled back his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of this cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
He replied, I've been, same thing. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Some of you have come here with groups. Some of you have come out on your own, and everything in you was like, you know what, after Passion 2015, that's it. I'm, I'm gone. I'm done. But the Lord would say, no, no, no. Your destiny lies in going back the way you came. The very- what? So because God told Elijah, you know, go back the way you came. Oh, well, here's a word from God for some of the uh, attendees of the Passion 2015 conference. God's saying, no, no, you, you got to go back the way you came. Right. And what exactly does that mean or look like? You're trying to run from is the thing I want you to go back to. So he says to him, you go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimishi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. And anoint, instigated by God. You don't know who God's talking to you, to about you. While you're trying to market your way up to the next place, because we live in that type of era, Make sure that you sell yourself. Make sure that you market yourself. Make sure God's saying, hey, I'll talk to your leaders about you. There it is again. So weird, weird. I mean, like, this is creeping me out kind of weird. And it takes a a lot to creep me out. You're thinking, is it really that bad? Yeah, actually, it really is. So apparently this text means that because God was talking to Elijah about Elisha. Well, you have no idea what God's saying to your Führers about you. Yeah, so stop trying to market yourself. God's going to market you for you. If you align yourself rightly, I'm talking about you and your destiny and your future. I'm interested in what's going on. You don't know who God's having a conversation to whom about you. Yeah, your leaders, your Führers, yeah, you, you know, about your destiny, so. But there's a trust that comes with that in the sovereignty of God. Of knowing that God is saying to Elijah, out of this place of depression, I've anointed the, the guy that's going to take over you. You're thinking, who is he? How many followers has he got? Has he got a lot of followers on Twitter? Has he got a lot of followers on Instagram? I mean, what's his Facebook profile like? Because he needs to get out there, you know? Needs to get out there. And then he goes and finds him. And check this out. Verse 19, so Elijah went out from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. He was plowing. He was working and it wasn't really cool, trendy work. He himself, I love that phrase in the scripture, he himself, he didn't delegate it to somebody else. He didn't think he was above it all. He was plowing. Do you know what plowing is like? Probably not. But he was plowing the 12th pair, so he was behind it all. That is a lot of oxen behinds to look at. Yeah, she got this from Furtick. There could be many things being discharged from those behind, so the stench would have been terrible. I wonder if you've ever felt that what you're doing for God doesn't look any better than an oxen behind and the stench is pretty terrible. It's in the back of nowhere and no one notices. 
and the group of people that you're looking after or the area of ministry that you're serving in, you're thinking, man, that's not cool. That's not like a passion stage. Isn't it amazing? I find that God tends to work with those that are already working. I think he would have been looking and thought there's this ordinary guy. Nothing in scripture suggests that there was anything extraordinary about Elisha. He was just working in his father's field, but he was working. So I think God thinks I can, I can use somebody that's working. See, see, we have a generation that loves blogging, but not working. Oh, we love... Dis- uh, there's this, the ad, homin- ad hominem attack against bloggers. Oh yeah, bloggers. The, people like to blog, but they don't work. Yeah, that's kind of, right, because all those bloggers, you know what they really are? They're just 32-year-old men who don't have a real job and you know live in their mother's basements. Let's go to Starbucks, man. Put on my little iPhone. Let's have like a deep, meaningful little a quiet time. And let's just talk philosophically about what God should do. And let's have a little existential discussion about this in the Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. And people can go to hell, but we're just going to talk about it. Uh-huh. So, uh, deep theological conversation apparently gets in the way of what God's really doing. It's going to talk about how much better I would be at doing that than them. And I've just got an opinion about everything, but I'm not going to work at anything. Because, Christine, have you not read the Bible? For it is by grace we've been saved, not works, lest any man should boast. So I'm just going to sit and sing Kumbaya. And a weird mischaracterization of those who believe in salvation by grace alone through faith alone, as if somehow that means that, you know, good works don't actually come after faith. Weird, huh? Jesus comes back because I'm saved. The rest of the world could go to hell, but I'm saved. Awesome. And after work, if you're as old as me, it would be Doris Day philosophy. K Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. K Sarah, Sarah, I'm just going to sit here. He was working. I've never done anything in my life. That you all see and think, whoo, isn't that awesome? A21, 10 offices all around the world, preach all around the world, write books, parent. You know how you spell revival? Like this W O R K. It's called work. It's called work. I, I, I just want you to know that. Okay, so now we're supposed to be working for revival. Called work. This is how I got my big start in ministry. The church at Hillsong, when we were not the Hillsong that you know today, was this little church in a warehouse in the back of Sydney, Australia. They said, we're going to have a church cleanup day on Tuesday. I was in college. I was 22. I was in my final year at Sydney University. And so I thought, okay, there's a cleanup. I'm going to go because I'm a Christian. I go to church. They said they need this. I'm going to go. So I went. You know what happened? I was the only one that went in the whole youth group. So that day, the associate youth pastor was up in the stairs and he said, um, you're Christine Karyophilus, aren't you? Because that was my name then, Christine Karyophilus. How many are glad that I got married and it changed to Cain? And he said, you're Christine Karyophilus. You study psychology, don't you? And I went, no, no. I had done psychology like 101, you know. Um, I was studying English and economic history so I can count to 10 and read golden books. That's about it for my life. And so... Um, But he said, look, we're starting a youth center. And I said, what's a youth center? He goes, I don't know. But I got a government grant and I'm going overseas with Pastor Brian on a missions trip for a few weeks. So when we come back, I want you 
to do, have done a feasibility study for me for this youth centre. And I was just young and dumb then. I thought if a leader asked you to do something, you just kind of do it. You know, I didn't think I had earned the right at that point to really have an opinion about anything. And so he threw me this archaic object called a pager. And I caught that pager. So my whole call to ministry was a lie. This is how the mantle came on my life. It was a lie because it, it was all on the premise of lying because it, you called that pager and you said, hi, can I speak to Christine Karyophilus, please? And someone would answer and say, hi, this is the Hills District Youth Service. But there was no Hills District Youth Service. It didn't really exist. There was not a place. Um, it was just a, on a document. And then they'd say, can I speak to Christine? And they'd say, she's not in the office. But there was no office. And so then what they would do is they would page me. Christine, you got a call. So then I would go to a phone and I would sort of pant a little bit and pretend and say, I've just got back into the office. And the office was wherever I was at that moment. And so that was how I started in ministry, just in case you all want to know. So it all started like that. And what does any of this have to do with First Kings? Answer, nothing. But what's going on here is a very hard sales pitch. What is she selling? Commitments, commitments to a movement and you know, getting people to align with leaders. There's a lot going on here and it, enough of it's creepy that y- you should be worried by what you're hearing. We continue. A pager because I went to do a church cleanup. Was I called to cleaning? I never asked. Is it on my strength finder list? How does it fit on my disc profile, I wonder? Oh, Christine, that's not my love language. I love how we write Christian books to excuse Christians from being Christians. It's amazing because the only love language there is, is die to self. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That is ultimately where it all begins and ends. And so So I'm supposed to find God's will through my leaders and aligning with them. That moment, I went from a pager to by the grace of God, we built what became one of the largest youth centers in Australia. I used to fly down to our prime minister, which is like your president, every six weeks and consult on government youth policy. What you see now with A21 started 27 years ago with the Hills District Youth Service. You just see this part now. But that was there. And then when I was doing that for many, many, many years, Pastor Brian one day called me into the office and said, Christine, I want you to take over Youth Alive at the time. That was events like this, youth events across Australia. A woman had never done that before and I didn't even know how. I had never spoken on a stage. I went from talking to kids in high schools and running a community youth center to stadiums of young people overnight. Except yeah, that's because of a moral failing of a youth guy at Hillsong. The 10 year overnight. It was a very long overnight. I remember in Australia, people like, man, where did she come from? I'm thinking where I've been, none of you wanted to go. Because people don't like plowing. Because it smells and it's messy and it's not glamorous and it's anonymous and it's in the back of nowhere. And that's why people don't like to plow. And again, this has nothing whatsoever to do about the story of Elisha. This is Stephen Furtick's mishandling of the text. People don't like to plow. So he was plowing, scripture tells us. He was working. God has no problem with work. Right in the book of Genesis chapter 2 verse 2, God rested from his work of creating. 
Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, straight after the scriptures about making sure we are well aware it's by grace we've been saved, Louis taught it beautifully, it is finished. But Ephesians 2 verse 10 says we are God's workmanship, I'm sure we've got the scripture up there, created in Christ Jesus. What's the reason we're created in Christ Jesus, church? To do. To do. To do good works, which God prepared where? In advance. In eternity. For us to do when? Here in time. See, when you die, it's too late to do the good works. It's too late. You and I are not a product of time. We're a product of eternity. God has plucked us out of eternity. He has positioned us in time. And this kind of begs the question, what's a good work? Scripture is pretty clear on what a good work is. It's the mundane stuff we do in serving our neighbor in our vocations as father, mother, husband, wife, student, child, employee. And he's given us gifts and talents for the purpose of serving our generation. And so at the end of the day, he says, you are God's workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus for good works. Not saved. We've established that so strongly at this conference. But our love response to Jesus, if we've truly encountered him, is that we would want to do the good works that he put us on this earth to do. Many of you know my story. You know that I was left in a hospital unnamed and unwanted. You know I was sexually abused for 12 years. So there are many broken people sitting in this arena. I'm aware of that. This is what you have to understand when we're jumping up and down. He's alive. He's alive. Why I'm so pumped is because there was a time when it looked like the devil had won in my life. He tried to abort me in my mother's womb. When that didn't work, he sent someone into my bedroom when I was three years old to use me in a way that I was never designed to be used. That's what the word abuse means, to use an object for a purpose for which it was never designed. For 12 years, I was used for a purpose for which God never designed me. I was full of shame. I was full of guilt. I was full of brokenness. I was full of condemnation. It looked like those good works that God had prepared in eternity for me to do in time were never going to come to pass. And some of you feel like that, either because of your own mistakes or because of what has been done to you. But I'm living proof that you can start bad and finish good because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I am living proof that no demon in hell and no person on earth can stop the work of God in your life because Jesus is alive. That's why I'm excited. Because God said, hey, Jesus, i got this plan for Christine and all of humanity, and I prepared it here in eternity for them to outwork in time. But the enemy sent an assignment to still kill and destroy that plan and that purpose. So Jesus, would you go from heaven to earth? Would you die on a cross and rise again from the dead on the third day? Not only for the forgiveness of my sin, but so that I can also fulfill the purpose that he left me on this planet to fulfill. Uh huh. So Jesus died on the cross so that you can fulfill your purpose. Wow. See, some of us, we've gone to conference after conference, church service after church service. We listen to sermon after sermon. And we keep coming back to the same old place. And Jesus goes, at at what point are you going to understand I love you? I've got a plan for you. You know, someone said to me every day, Christine, you know, Nick loves you. You know, Nick loves you. I'd start to think there's something wrong. Because I'm like, I know. 
See, I see, I know God loves me. I read his word. I'm filled with his spirit. I'm, I'm in an intimate relationship with him. See, I have my spiritual disciplines, not as a legalistic structure, but they keep me intimate with my savior so that I know he loves me so that I can do the good works that he's called me to do. It's very, very powerful. At some point, we have to go, oh, okay. At some point, I'm not going to say to my daughters, I want you to sit at my footstool and behold my glory all day. At some point, I'm going to say, get up off your rusty dusty and go and clean your room. And for some of us, and I'm not talking if this is your first or second time here, but for some of us that have been around the things of God for a long time, I think God's saying, hey, would you just remember I've got some good works for you to do? You need to just stop talking and hypothesizing and theorizing about a fantasy future and start here and now to put your plow to the ground. So rather than tell them that, you know, as students, doing a good job as a student and studying and getting good marks in school, that that's a good work. Uh huh. And uh, obeying your parents, that's a good work. Doing a good job at work, that's a good work. What is this work that she's talking about? As if God is saying, hey, don't forget to do some good works, as if these kids aren't doing any good works at all. Oh, boy. Start to plow where you are now. Begin to plow now. Elisha was plowing. Matthew 5.16, Lecrae talked about the glory of God today. Let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good, you can put the scripture up, that that may see your good works. And what? Praise your Father in heaven. Other versions would say, and glorify your Father in heaven. Church, how is God going to get some glory on this earth? Through the people of God doing the works of God that we were put on this earth to do. Not just talking about it, not just blogging about it. We all want to write a beautiful story, but nobody wants to work and live that story. We need to work. We need to work. Uh huh. And again, you just read scripture regarding what a good work is, and you find all the good works that God tells us to do. Again, it's ordinary stuff we do. In our vocations as father, husband, mother, wife, child, employee. Yeah, you know, slaves obey your master kind of stuff. Yeah, those are all good works. How do I know that? Because God's word says so. What is she pushing for? We need to work. My scripture, people say, what has been your scripture for life, Christine? First Corinthians 15, 58, all my life. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in The work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, guess what? Your labor is never in vain. I'm not talking about religious works. I'm not talking about earning brownie points for God's approval. That's a given. He loves us. We are accepted in the beloved. We know that. But at some point, we need not be a generation that says, I don't want to commit. Notice how she kind of like just glosses the gospel. Yeah, we know that God loves us, but at some point we've got to commit. Oh, boy. Yeah, this is, uh, in a sense, just get that gospel out of the front of your mind. You got to get busy. Gift, that's not my love language. Whatever church God has planted you in, begin serving there. It doesn't matter if it's not your gift mix. You know what? Elisha is the only person in the Bible that only Jesus Christ, let me put it this way, only Jesus performed more recorded miracles in the Bible than Elisha. So plowing may not have been his primary gift. Miracles and prophet probably were. 
But on the way to being a prophet and on a way to being the only person in scripture that has only second to Jesus in terms of recorded miracles, he was plowing. If I could help a generation wake up and start plowing on the way to destiny. If you don't plow, there is no purpose. There is no destiny. Start plowing on the way to destiny because that's why First Kings was written. Weird. I mean, she's not exegeting this text at all. What she's doing is manipulating it in order to get these kids to commit to something. The plowing prepares you for what God has prepared for you. The plowing is what makes you die to yourself. The stench, the pain. You want to stand where I'm standing at 49? Oh, there's been pain. But the plowing in anonymity and obscurity is what enables me to keep going. You want to be just like me, oh, then plow, plow, baby, plow. You want to run an anti-trafficking organization in 10 countries? Do you know what demons you come up against? You want to speak on some of the platforms and talk about some of the subjects I talk about? You want to be just like Christine Kane, right? You think this is a walk in the park? If I didn't spend years strengthening my plowing muscles. When I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer in July last year, and I had another growth in my throat, and that's what this scar is, if you're wondering. And didn't, by the grace of God, miss a beat and kept going. I will say this to you, because Dr. Piper reminded me of this this morning when he said he was 69, and I thought, I'm 49 this year. He said, life's so short. When I was lying on that bed and the cancer was just under my, or just on my larynx, under my trachea, so the enemy went for my voice box. The last sort of conscious memory I had before I went into surgery, and in that moment, we didn't really know what that other growth was and the extent, by the grace of God, I had the best case scenario, and I know there are people in this room fighting a lot worse than that, but at that moment, we didn't know where this was all going to land. But I remember, I promised you as I was going out and I knew everything was okay with my family. Not once did I say to Jesus, gee, I wish I, did I have enough quiet times? I didn't say that once. You know what I said to him in my conversation? Literally, I went, Jesus, I hope I did everything you put me on this earth to do. And then I said this, and this was my last thought that I can remember before I went under general anesthetic. When Jesus, I hope I'm bringing home with me everyone I was meant to bring home. So I'll tell you this, it's not about a clapping thing. That's not why I'm saying it. I'm saying to you, if you thought I was crazy before, I've gone to another level of craziness now is what I'm trying to say to you all. Because when I was lying there, I actually really know what I really believe. If I'm deluded, I'm gloriously deluded. I'm truthfully deluded. I can tell you that much. But when I'm sitting there and they're about to slash my throat and I don't know if I'm going to come out with a voice or not, all I could think about was, did I do the good works that he put me on this earth to do before the beginning of time? And am I taking as many people home with me? I did not think, gee, I wish I watched another episode of Downtown Abbey. Boy, I wonder if I preached too much. Gee, I wonder if I just sat. No way. At that moment on the light of eternity, all I could think about was that there is a heaven and there is a hell and there is a job for us to do on this earth and we get to co-labor with God. Not we have to. We get to co-work with the creator of the 
universe in his work of seeing a humanity restored to him. There is no greater privilege on the earth than to be given the job by God for the evangelization of planet earth before the second coming of Jesus Christ. When you go to college next week and people say, hey, what are you going to be? A doctor, a lawyer, a scientist? What are you going to do with your life? You just need to look at them and say, hey, I am personally responsible for the evangelization of the planet before the second coming of Jesus Christ. What do you do for a living? That is the greatest job that we could have on this earth. Weird that you're pitting the two against each other. Why couldn't you do both? (sighs) Matthew chapter 9. I want you to put that scripture up. I want you to see this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Can you go on? Once Jesus told us how to pray, said this is how to pray, our Father. And then once he tells us what to pray, ask the Lord of the harvest. I wonder how many of you have done this. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. I'm talking to an arena full of them. I've been on my face for two months for you, asking the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Listen, I'm not talking about foreign mission fields. The job of the evangelization of the planet is too important to be left to just the missionaries. You and I are on mission. Your college, Dr. Piper so beautifully put it today, is our mission field. No matter what we're studying. And Jesus said, would you pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers? Co-laborers, other versions say. See, but we don't want to be co-laborers with Jesus. We want to be co-stars. Oh, I'll do it, Jesus, if I can co-star with you. I want the biggest and the best. See, laboring, working, plowing, it's not glamorous enough for this generation. I could have the biggest I could have the best. I want to do better. Imagine if everyone just said, you know what, I'm just going to join what God's already doing. And I'm just going to become a worker. I'm going to just join what God's already doing. There's Blackaby. That's his shtick. And a twisting of John chapter 5. Wow. Get this thing done in days. We would get this earth evangelized in days. But when our gift and our calling becomes the center of history rather than Jesus, we we don't need to be heroes. The hero came 2,000 years ago, in case you didn't notice. He's already come. We don't need any more heroes. We just need some workers. You know what? There is not an absence of harvest. There are plenty. There's plenty of harvest. There is not an absence of Christians. There's not an absence of Christians. There's not an absence of Christian conferences. There's not an absence of Christian teaching. There's not an absence of Christian exegetical sermons. There is not an absence of Christian music. There is not an absence of Christian anything. There is just a void of workers. If we could turn this whole deal around and mobilize a generation that say, I will be a worker in God's harvest field, we would get this job done. We would checkmate the devil and the whole thing would be done in just a few days if we yeah it sounds good but the details here are frightening we got with the program if we actually got with the program but i'm like no i I need another sermon for me jesus goes whoa 
Would you start plowing? Would you start laboring? Would you start being faithful where you are? Look what the scripture goes on to say. He himself was doing it. And Elijah went to him and threw his cloak on him. See, if you plow, the mantle will find you. Uh Uh-huh. So if you plow, the mantle will find you. So get into the harvest field, start working, and then the mantle will just, you know, plop on top of you. You'd have to send out. Hi, these are my qualifications. This is how good I am. This is how many followers I got. I'm looking for people to throw mantles on, but I can't find anyone plowing. I've got lots of people sending me resumes. So Christine Kane is looking for people to throw mantles on because she's just like Elijah, you know, Uh, but she can't find anyone out there plowing. Really? And interviewing me as to how it's going to help them if they come and intern with me. I'm like, whoa, what happened here? What happened? Because all the self-help pop psychology, secular business manuals tell you. Uh, the stuff that be, that's being preached from, you know, seeker-driven churches. And I think Hillsong, too. Go out there and build your profile. Go down to your office. Go down to the place of employment and find out what their work-life balance is. Find out what their benefits are. <laughs> work-life balance, it presupposes you are working so that you can have the life balance. Just putting it out there. Benefits presuppose you're working. Rest presuppose you're tired because you worked. And all of these college students, none of them actually work. Yet if they're in college and they're studying and doing the job, the vocation of student, they are working. There is nothing Wrong with plowing where you are and watching God open doors that no man can shut. Guys, I am living proof and old-fashioned enough to still believe that promotion does not come from the north, south, east, or west. Promotion comes from God. And if God has assigned you, God will find you. If you are in the back of nowhere plowing with 12 oxen and you are smack bang in the will of God, God will send a prophet from the back of the wilderness. He will throw a mantle on you and he yeah um nowhere in scripture are we told that the uh, descriptive text of the story of elisha receiving the mantle from elijah is somehow a, a prescriptive text that you know we should expect mantles to be th- being thrown on us while we're out you know plowing and stuff Trust you from anonymity to the middle of where he wants you to be in a heartbeat because he is God, he is sovereign, he is good, and he's in control of your life. God is still God, church. God is still God. God is still God. You know, her mishandling of this text, in well, the way I look at it, tells me a lot about what's going on inside of her head and what she thinks is important. He goes on. He then left his oxen and he ran after Elijah. So my point is you've got to start plowing. You've got to start trusting that God, the mantle will find you. You don't have to chase it. Stay planted where God has you and the mantle will find you. And it's a handover, it's not a takeover. So you don't have to plan the takeover. And then what you have to do is instant obedience. He started running after him started running after him. 
He didn't think, well, what about my future? What happened? He felt the weight of the man, the, that mantle. And once you've felt the pull of where you're going, you can never be satisfied staying where you've been. It reminds me of another call in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4. I don't know if we put that up on the screen. When Jesus was walking along, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Scripture goes on and says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Look at this. Next verse, and at once. Everyone say, at once. And at once. They didn't say, hang on, what's, what's the benefit package? How's this going to build my career? Can you imagine Jesus walking along the shoreline of Capernaum? What was so magnetic? What was so attractional? What was so awesome that immediately Scripture says, they drop their nets. Where is a generation that will stop leaving option A, B, C, D open and say, immediately I'm going to drop my nets because I beheld the beauty of God. Therefore, I am going to follow Jesus no matter what. Immediately they drop their nets and he went to people that were already fishing, they were already working and he called them. They were already fishing in the boat with their father. Normal job, normal people who had an extraordinary destiny because immediately they dropped their nets. I have a feeling when those nets were dropped, the sound of those nets thundered in heaven, got the attention of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure, yeah. Body a fisherman is going to drop it all and follow me. A farmer that's plowing is going to drop it all and run after the anointing. Where's a generation that is going to stop weighing up the options. Well, if I do this in God's call, and if he's called me to be a doctor here, and that's not going to make as much money if I do it there. And and God's like, we're talking about eternal destinies here. That's why I've got you in law school. That's why I've got you in medicine. That's why I've got you in science. That's why I've got you to be a teacher. That's why, because, because you're a worker in my harvest field. This is a calling, not a career. It's a calling. She's not making any sense. She's actually somewhat contradicting herself, which is weird. Still calling, church. He's still walking. That's why we've gathered here, passion. He's gathered us and he's calling and he's saying, will you drop the nets? Do you hear that there's a sound of this glorious Savior that's going, come and follow me? No guarantees because the way of the righteous winds upwards. So it's not a straight career path. And you might look like you're going backwards instead of forwards. But I'm telling you, I am good and I do good. And I can promise you that all things work together for your good. If you would just trust me and begin to follow. And begin to follow. He ran after him and scripture says that... (laughs) After that, let me finish reading this. Let me. Yeah, what's the point in reading the text? Oh, I know. It's to create the false impression that you're actually exegeting it. My father and my mother, goodbye, he said, and I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him, went back, took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. <laughs> Some of you have got to go back from passion this year and there's some things you have to kiss goodbye and some things you have to burn. No options, no plan B. That relationship that's not right, that habit, 
That path you're on that you know is not the path that God has for you. See, you've got to burn some bridges in order to walk over some that will take you to your destiny. You can't stay where you are and hold on to your plows and lay a hold of the future that Jesus had for you. Really? So have you burned your plows yet? Some of us, we don't step into the purpose of God because we're not willing to kiss some things goodbye. Family, tradition, culture is more important to us than the call of God. And we justify it, we build an idol to it, and we make an excuse for it. And we wonder why we're not fulfilling the destiny God has for us. I'll make no mistake. God has good works for us to do, but you've got to burn some plows. And you've got to barbecue some cows. And you've got to kiss some things goodbye. And I'm believing by the power of the Holy Spirit for every single person in this room that you're going to specifically know what, what are maybe some attitudes, some habits, some shame, some guilt, some condemnation. You've got to deal with some stuff, but there's some stuff that needs to be barbecued and some stuff that needs to be... Isn't it weird that the only time you've heard allusions to the gospel, it has been pretty much, um, well, we already know that. Why do we need to focus on that? Yeah, this is the more important stuff. You got to burn your plows, you know. And I'm going to show you why, and this is really my last point here. And they ate. (laughs) Here's the line where it all lands. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became, this version says, his attendant. My Bible says, his servant. His servant. Because that's the goal. See, we're kind of trying to find out what's the big thing. I'm going to run this and I'm going to do something bigger than this and I want this and I want... And he goes, no, no. See, Elisha at this point had never read 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. That's what we love to preach. He's going to have a double portion of Elijah's mantle. Oh, man, only Jesus did more miracles than Elisha. I mean, he got a floating axe head. He raised someone from the dead. I mean, this is... Elisha is awesome. Double the miracles of Elijah. He did. But he didn't know that. In fact, after this point, for six years, he goes into anonymity and obscurity. See, I wonder if there's a generation that would just say, I'm just going to be a servant. Because that was the goal. He'd arrived at that point. See, after that, anything else that happens, I look at my life, I don't live for those things that have happened. They're just like a byproduct of me doing the one thing I decided 27 years ago, which was serve I'm a servant. I arrived at that point. I haven't any more arrived because I'm standing here. I haven't any more arrived because I started 821. I arrived at that moment when I burnt some plows, when I barbecued the cows, when I said, you know what? I'm turning my back. There is no plan B. There are no other options. I'm going to put my hand to the plow right here where I'm... Yeah, by the way, cue sappy music. Sappy music, this is designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience as they are preparing to, you know, to, to make decisions. And so the Holy Spirit is now in the room helping them make decisions. And I'm going to begin to serve. Serve. 
27 years later, looks different, exactly the same principle. Serve. Jesus said, would you pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers? And uh, we've heard a lot more about Christine Kane than we have Jesus in this um, lecture. I wonder when it will become enough for the Church of Jesus Christ to just be co-laborers. Pack your bags, we're going on a guilt trip. I wonder if it would be enough for us that the creator of the universe who, Genesis says he worked and he rested from his work of creating. He invites us to be co-workers with him in his work on this planet until he comes back. When that is enough for us, we'll get the job done. When we find that that is the goal, because he's our pearl of great price. He's it. Once we have him, we have it, so we'll do anything for him. That was subtle. He's our pearl of great price, so we're the ones who sell everything in order to possess Jesus? Wrong. That's the wrong way to read it. No, the church is the pearl of great price, and Christ literally gave up everything he had in order to possess that pearl. Big difference. Tells you a lot about her theology. That is the goal. But we must decide to start plowing, start working. We must decide to instantly obey and start trusting and drop everything. We must decide that we're going to start burning some stuff and burning some bridges. And then we're going to start serving Jesus. And at that point, our light will so shine before men that they shall see our good works and they will glorify our Father in heaven. For people in this room today, it's time. This is your deciding moment. I'm not talking about a salvation issue at all here. For by grace we've been saved, not works, lest any man should boast. This is not an issue of salvation. This is an issue of our assignment on the earth. Uh huh. As if somehow you've got to convince these kids that they've, you know, they've got to, you know, embrace their assignment. As if somehow their good works are different than the works they would do in their ordinary vocation. Notice, there's not a good theology here regarding what a good work is, not a biblical one. As a result of it, I mean, what she's pushing people into, uh, and then with the expectation, yeah, get busy work, get serving, get going, and and then, you know, and then the mantle will fall on you, and then you can be on the stage like her, you know, kind of thing. Big problems here, huge problems. We got a job to do. When Chris and the team wrote that song, Come Lord Jesus, my spirit, I, I, I nearly went into orbit. Because sometimes we, the church, forget you as this generation, the Elishas, you've got to understand where we are in the church world on the kingdom calendar. Jesus came, he died, he rose again, he did it all. But then he said, hang on a minute, it's not time yet. 
because he knew we're going to play a part in this. He came back, rose from the dead, filled us with his spirit and said, you've got to get the job done. And you've got to get people looking to the east because I'm coming back. We don't talk much about that in the church world. Thank God Chris has written this song. So we've got a song to sing again on Sundays to remind us of where we are as the church. We don't live here cowering, defeated. Just us for it, no more. I'm waiting for the rapture. Hurry up, Jesus. We get up fully empowered by the Spirit of God. Start plowing where we are and say, I am going to work in this harvest field and we shall see revival sweep this nation. Revival sweep this world. And every single person that is ordained to be saved shall be saved because the workers went into the harvest. It's harvest time, church. It's harvest time. Will you be a worker? If you say yes, and after the way I preach this, it's not a fun and games. <laughs> we could actually now really sing what Dr. Piper said. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. If that's your decision, whether you're studying law, science, arts, technology, whatever it might be, but it's worker in the harvest is my identity. Profession is secondary to that, however it is. And however God blesses me and wherever God exalts me and whatever doors he opens, they are for the sake of advancing his kingdom on the earth. But I give my life. Yes, I'm saved. I've already accepted my salvation through everything Jesus did on the cross. I can do nothing to earn that. I can do nothing to save myself, but I can decide. I can't do what Jesus did, but I must do what he put me on this earth to do. And if you are willing to say, yes, I have decided I must do what he put me on this earth to do. I want you to stand to your feet wherever you are. And this is a very holy moment. It's a manipulative moment. Work of evangelizing this planet is too important to leave to the missionaries. We all have to live on mission, and probably there's no one more influential than college students to do this. This is why God's raised up this movement. This is why we must all movement. Apparently, the movement is separate from the church. Behind this movement, because the hour, time's clicking and ticking, and if we are serious. We can usher in a revival in America. If we're serious, we can usher in. Hmm. We can see revival. God's waiting for... Yeah, God can't do a thing until, you know, all you kids make a decision, you know? Because in the harvest, if you're able, I want you to raise your hands to heaven, no matter what tradition from you're, you're from. This is for a sign of surrender to Jesus. That's what this is. And the band, you can all come up. So, Father. Done. <clears throat> Again, this was all about getting commitments, uh, supposedly about, you know, to be evangelists and, you know, and get busy and get to work. And, you know, we already know that Jesus died for us. You know, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah. And the part about don't critique your leaders and stuff like that. Yeah, there's there's something something else. There's a subtext to this whole thing that we just heard that was frightening, absolutely frightening. 
What did you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>